0: what is the evidence demon possession is real and what do exorcisms actually entail our guest today dr richard gallagher is the author of a book called demonic foes is going to help us think through these issues and more dr gallagher you are a board certified psychiatrist who teaches at columbia you did your residency at yale so if it's okay with you i'm going to jump right in because this topic is so serious and important How did you, as a medically trained doctor, get pulled into the world of demonic possession?
1: Well, first, uh, thank you, Sean, for the invitation. I always tell people um, I didn't volunteer. Hmm. And I'm not sure it's actually a particularly good idea to volunteer for this work. Uh, I'd like to feel it was providential because everything I've done, I've been asked to do over the years. Uh, To the point where, as a physician, I have probably seen more of these kind of cases than, according to my chairman, uh, than any any physician in in history. Uh, I'm not an exorcist, but I was asked about 25 years ago by a local priest um, who somehow got my name, I guess, because I was a a practicing Christian and um, I was an academic psychiatrist that was at cornell medical college at the time and he said to me uh dr gallagher would you um, please evaluate a case uh, for me as an exorcist he was a prominent exorcist in america Um, i'd like to um, get a psychiatric opinion even though i think it's a demonic case and i remember sean telling him at the time there was there was a certain amount of what we called uh, the satanic panic at the time. You may mm. remember that period where yeah. people were sat satanists around every corner. And I said, well, Father, you know, I, I, I finished my training at Yale. And quite frankly, I'm a little skeptical of a certain amount of that stuff. And he said to me uh, with a smirk, he said, well, then you're the perfect guy for the job. <laughs> because They wanted someone skeptical. So over the years since, he and, uh, and a few other exorcists uh, would send me these cases to evaluate. Uh, I was later invited to join the International Association, to write articles, to write a book. And um, so everything I've done, uh, mm. because really I was asked, which I, I would like to feel, Sean, was a little more providential than if I mm. rushed in where angels fear to tread.
0: Sure. So take us back to that moment where you're asked to consult on a case. And maybe it's the first time you saw somebody that you thought this person is genuinely possessed or experienced diabolical attack. And how did it affect you?
1: Well, let me digress for a minute, even though there's a lot of uh, confusion about terminology. There are people who are possessed where uh, an, an evil spirit my opinion unequivocally it takes over the the body mm-hmm. and the control of the individual and then there are slightly more common although also rare there are things uh, we tend to call in america oppressions uh this first case was an oppression uh it was a woman who uh, was being beaten up by spirits she and her husband had traveled actually a couple of thousand miles to see this exorcist on the East Coast and um, she would literally uh, feel pummeled, even in front of various people like her friends. she would feel pummeled by evil spirits while she was in her house and everybody felt very helpless. Um, so I was asked to you know sort of make sure that this woman was, not psychotic or something, um, that her story made sense, that there wasn't any medical explanation. For instance, we did blood tests. She had bruises, but people can get bruises for different medical reasons, including low platelets, that sort of thing. So I did a medical and psychiatric workup, and I said to the priest, um, You know, Father, uh, I can't find any medical or psychiatric reason. Mm why this is happening um the woman appears very sane and very credible so um even though i was a little skeptical uh father uh your explanation that this is something demonic actually makes a lot of sense to me and then after that i, I began to evaluate a lot a lot uh, a lot more a lot of other cases including possessions
0: So let's talk about for a minute, if you will, how somebody is diagnosed with a demon possession. I know you said you're not an exorcist, but you do medical diagnosis, diagnoses. So what is that process like? And what are the signs where you conclude this is genuine either possession or oppression in some fashion?
1: Well, essentially, I'm assisting, uh, usually an exorcist, I'm assisting the exorcist in making the discernment ultimately uh the uh i feel strongly that the spiritual clergy needs to take responsibility for the actual spiritual diagnosis you might say but these are these are kinds of diagnoses that require a lot of rigor and require a a certain amount of scientific knowledge Uh, sometimes it's it's very very obvious and and a a very experienced exorcist can often tell Fairly quickly, uh, in America, at least in the in, in in some of the mainstream churches like the Catholic Church, where the bishops require a medical or psychiatric uh, evaluation, um, I get I get involved at that point. Um, but the criteria uh, I should emphasize are quite rigorous. Hmm. Uh, essentially, you have to have very clear, you might say, phenomenological evidence that there is a foreign entity involved. Now, how do you do that? Well, in possessions, um, you're gonna, you're gonna see the manifestation in different ways of an evil spirit. Sometimes that spirit will take over the consciousness of the person will even speak in a, in a slightly different tone of voice. Hmm. Remember they're using the body of the victim. So they're actually using the person's vocal cords. Mm. They're going to sound a little bit like that, but they also uh, clearly will seem like it's a foreign personality. Um, Now, again, you have to make sure uh, the person's not imagining this and has something like dissociative identity disorder, which used to be called multiple personality. You have to rule out things like that, let alone psychosis but eventually you often also see or get reports of seeing signs of um the lay public calls it the paranormal we would call it the preternatural things beyond the natural ability of a human being for instance the criteria are speaking a foreign language all of a sudden that the person never never studied exhibiting you know superhuman strength of some sort I dealt with a woman once who um, was possessed, and she was being exercised by her Protestant deacon, um, who was kind of inexperienced and they didn't hold her down. And uh, when the prayers started, she jumped up, she took the guy, she was 90 pounds, soaking wet, she took this 200 pound guy and threw him across the church hall. Mm-hmm. That sort of ended things very quickly, and that session but that that strength was obviously beyond the human and then uh, a third major criteria they call in latin latra l-a-e-t-r-a it's sort of the revelation of hidden knowledge that the person would have no reason for believing Mm. one of the more dramatic cases that i dealt with who was possessed i call her julia and again whenever i whenever i use a name it's confidential Mm. Um, in my book, I, I write about different cases to illustrate um, these phenomena. But uh, of course, their their privacy is protected, even though all the details are true. Sure. The privacy is protected by my disguising their uh, at least name and locale, that sort of thing. Uh, but but she could um, she could tell me a lot of this hidden knowledge. For instance, she told me once how uh, my mother had died much years earlier of ovarian cancer. But she also told you know me all kinds of things. In fact, she also had a number of other preternatural or paranormal abilities. She had what the parapsychologists call remote viewing. She could actually see things at a distance. And when I asked her one time, And and these were even outside of when she was actually in a formal state of possession, although she had other signs very clear of possession. And when I asked her once, excuse me, um, uh, if she felt she was a gifted person, you know, when you deal with uh, spiritualists and channelers and that sort of thing, these people will often say, well, I I was born gifted. Hmm. And there probably are some spiritually gifted people. Having said that, Sean, um, she was very blunt. She said, nobody is, nobody is born gifted. I get these powers through Satan. And, um, I, and I said, why do you think Satan gives you those powers? In this case, this was one of these rare, genuine Satanists um, who uh, worshiped uh, the devil and also received these powers, unfortunately, at the same time she uh, became possessed, which she was well aware of, and I uh, evaluated for quite a while. Mm.
0: So it sounds like the signs are supernatural strength, uh, knowledge and information somebody couldn't have, whether that's at a distance, and in your book, again, Demonic Foes, you story, you tell a story about, I believe it was a priest that she, maybe it was Julia or another person who said, I can see him is here wearing the shack you calm up and it perfectly matches up having information at a distance the other one you mentioned is is levitation now in an article interview i saw with you you said you have not seen this but you have reason to believe that there are credible cases of people who are being demon possessed or oppressed genuinely levitate
1: you have you have to talk about the level of rarity of some of these things a full possession okay. Is 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 fairly rare. Uh, oppressions, people who feel attacked in different ways by evil spirits, they're not common, but they're also fairly rare. Now, within possessions, um, you know, we know both historically and in my experience talking to about thirty-five different people who either witnessed it or experienced it themselves. Uh, even within possessions, levitation is rare enough so that uh, even though I've had a lot of experience with these people, I've never actually seen it myself. <clears throat> but you know, I've talked to 35 people, who, including a, a European professor of my, uh, of my uh, acquaintance, who have sworn to me that uh, hmm. they, they, they've seen um, uh, these levitations. In the case of, uh, yes, you were referring, referencing the case Julia, the Satanist, she had a incredibly flamboyant, uh, described once in a century possession. I write about her in the book. And um, she, during her last exorcism, uh, levitated according to eight people that I spoke to. Mm. Uh, I've been to quite a few exorcisms in my life, but I couldn't go to hers. You know, I'm a pretty busy guy. And um, uh, they all they all said to me, she levitated for about half an hour during the exorcism. Uh, she had to be held down, otherwise she would have ascended further. And this is also reported in history uh, in spiritualist and occult literature too. They all seem to be um, partaking of a uh, phenomena that is again ultimately caused by evil spirits.
0: I don't know a lot about exorcism, in part before reading your book carefully, but one of the things that really impressed me is how seriously the Catholic Church does, and not all, but many ministries, take diagnosing and dealing with exorcism. What is the training like to become an exorcist? Obviously, somebody could start their own exorcist ministry independently, but say within like the Catholic Church— or within another formally recognized institution, what is that process like for somebody who says, "I think I'm being called to," or "I want to be an exorcist"? Uh,
1: first of all, the exorcists are usually carefully chosen, um, mm. and they are supposed to uh, have a certain spiritual uh, maturity and piety and, and sort of common sense. This is not this is not a field for histrionic people. Uh, so, or or people who are overly credulous. So, um, it's often it's often an older priest, and um, they they do have usually special training of some sort. In, in many ways, the 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 best training is a kind of apprenticeship apprenticeship mm. where they will um, be under the tutelage of an older or at least more experienced exorcist. There are also several societies in in america that are specifically devoted priestly societies that are specifically devoted to training these these people uh the you know new exorcists and there are actually many more exorcists now than when i started one of the reasons i saw so many cases sean especially in the first 10 years was that there were very few exorcists so the exorcist that i worked with, they would use me for a wide variety of cases all over the United States. Uh, they became very good friends of mine, and 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 quite frankly, I, I had an enormous level of experience. Exorcists are usually confined nowadays to the diocese because it's the individual dioceses that are responsible for uh, selecting and, and and training the exorcist, and they deal with the cases within their diocese. So a lot of exorcists today they, they won't really because of the rarity of these conditions they really won't see very many of these cases hmm. uh, unlike myself in the original exorcists that i dealt with who would see cases all throughout the country
0: when you are working on a case of somebody who's oppressed or possessed are there common experiences as you probe further or beliefs that you find in that person's life if not always more often than not and and what are they uh
1: the history is is incredibly important uh, i mean another major criteria is that you will often get an individual who is, is not particularly uh hostile to religion or something but when the evil spirit manifests itself the evil spirit is incredibly uh not only uh, hostile but afraid of sacred things mm. um but the the the, the background of, of victims is varies a little bit but on the other hand um they usually have made some kind of turn in their life that is very unwise they've either turned to something <clears throat> of, a, of a serious nature occultic or dark Uh, Obviously, in Julia's case, it was Satanism, but other people turned to uh, lesser degrees of witchcraft or um, some type of uh, slightly dark spiritualism or something. Uh, And at the same time, many of them, or independently, people turned to very um, sinful or evil practices. Uh, Mm -hmm. In some ways, they have invited either directly or indirectly, they have invited, again, with a possession, they have invited the evil spirit in. So Mm. for instance, in Julia's case, it was very obvious. She she worshiped Satan. She thought she was getting a lot out of it, but it was literally what we call a Faustian bargain. She got much more than she bargained for. Uh, In another case, I write about a book. uh, I write about a guy who was a criminal. And he was kind of a drug kingpin of sorts. And he had turned to a Mexican uh, occult cult called Santa Muerte. Muerte. And, and he um, was a pretty uh, nasty guy. Uh, he was eventually in prison for his crimes. And the chaplain at the prison found that he was possessed. Uh, he did eventually get help. Um, but obviously, in his case, um, probably even more than his involvement with the occult, which was a factor, was the fact that he had led such an evil criminal life. Mm-hmm. So you, in the worst cases, that's what you you often see. In cases of oppression, it's different. You don't necessarily see somebody who's horribly um, involved in evil, or, but they usually have dabbled in occultism or something like that, mm-hmm. Usually, some reason that they have these more minor um, harassment or, or um, oppression by by a demon.
0: Your training is in psychiatry board certified psychiatrist. So I'm curious what mental illnesses most resemble a kind of diabolical attack? And how do you make sure you don't misdiagnose somebody?
1: Well, I'm a pretty experienced guy, and I've, um, you know, probably seen over 25,000 cases during the course of my career. So Uh I'm pretty good at at diagnosing people. Uh, Throughout history, uh, people, you know, people, sometimes people in the church, have been confused by different neurological conditions, by seizure disorders. Uh, If you're familiar with the neurological disorder Tourette's, where the person kind of involuntarily Uh blasphemes obviously these have been confusing diagnoses throughout history but with the with the development of modern uh diagnostic techniques and neuroimaging mris that sort of thing it's it's rare that a medical or neurological illness is mistaken for possession these Mm -hmm. days what happens nowadays uh, at least in the in the developed world um what happens nowadays is most of the cases of people who imagine or are deluded into thinking they're possessed and their families may as well are people with psychiatric disorders hmm. and there's three large groupings um, I mean um, some people are psychotic especially somebody like who's a schizophrenic they may hear a demonic voice or feel they hear a evil spirit talking to them and that's um, you know what we call a hallucination, and it, it 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 is explained as a as a as a mental illness and brain based uh, symptom. Um, so yet you, you certainly have to rule out different psychotic conditions, uh, including including drug states. Hmm. Um, number two, you will get a certain amount of people who are very suggestible. Uh, again, I write about a couple of these people in the book. And they may have something of a histrionic nature of a dissociative disorder. Uh, the classic one is is um, what's called multiple personality disorder, uh, now uh, DID, dissociative identity disorder. And these people may imagine again that one of their so-called alters is a demon um you have to rule out that category which is a broad category of kind of histrionic or suggestible people and finally there are people who are dealing with what we would call in in our field personality disorders um what it means is that they have a, a bunch of maladaptive symptoms working against them but they're not particularly psychotic or anything and these individuals include people who are often diagnosed as borderline, or even antisocial personality. And they're dealing with a, often a great deal of evil impulses or dark impulses, uh, some of which are, are, are involuntary. And they may, they may feel, hey, uh, I'm dealing with such dark impulses um, for which they may or not take any responsibility. Often a sociopathic patient is perfectly fine with their evil impulses. Um but these personality disorders who deal with these dark forces um do not necessarily seem to be directly affected uh by by demons but it's it's just it's sort of a part of their character or mm. or, or or their personality so those those groups the you might say the severely histrionic, the psychotic and the personality disordered patients with some kind of dark impulses. They're often confused, certainly by, mm-hmm. I would say, as being demonically possessed or, or at least oppressed. And we don't necessarily see that as the case. Um, I think you probably would agree with me that human nature is capable of a certain amount of darkness of their own, given his um, fallen state of human nature. Mm-hmm. And um, you can't go around, as C.S. Lewis wisely mm-hmm. said, who was who was a genuine expert in this area by the way uh he didn't write a lot about it but certainly the screw tape letters showed how much he thought about demonic strategies mm-hmm. on human beings but he used to say um it's important to recognize that evil spirits exist and you certainly don't have to convince me that evil spirits exist uh, but on the other hand um, you, you shouldn't become preoccupied with it too and you mm-hmm. shouldn't blame all human problems on uh, on demons, uh, the great medieval philosopher uh, Thomas Aquinas used to say, and again it was an estimate on his part, but he used to say ninety percent of human evil is, called, is caused not by demons or mm. demonic influence, but by our our uh, human frailty.
0: Do you think most of demonic influence is not necessarily oppression or possession but just lying and misinformation and deceiving people and the ones you talk about are more the exception because you said both possession and oppression are rare is that the primary tactic satan uses but then sometimes pop up these cases of oppression and possession
1: no i would agree with that 100 percent uh uh the, uh, possessions are, are very rare uh oppression people who are people who are seeing possessions all the time are mistaken you know mm. end of the story uh oppression is more common but there's a kind of continuum and that uh in in some sense we're all tempted so uh, so all mm. human beings are tempted by evil spirits the question then becomes you know does that does that absolve people of responsibility of course not you know we're still responsible for our the way we respond to demonic temptations and uh, demons cannot actually uh, take away our free will even in possessions they're taking over the consciousness and the act action of the individual mm. but then then the individual is not responsible for that uh behavior while they're in a possessed state gotcha. but even those individuals they're not their free will is still intact when they're not just overwhelmed by this evil spirit possessing them walk us
0: through if you will what actually happens in an exorcism so so the Catholic Church or whatever organization has very carefully ruled out all uh, possible mental illness seen positive signs whether it's power information uh, that they couldn't have levitation and like you said with that first case come to conclusion this is the only possible explanation what would that process look like then to perform an exorcism
1: well after after the the, the careful discernment and then uh in in the catholic church which you asked the question about uh it has the exorcism the formal exorcism And there are deliverance prayers just as in protestantism a lot of people define those as deliverance ministers there are deliverance prayers that are done by catholic priests too but to get a formal exorcism you have to go through this rigorous process and have the approval of the local bishop Hmm. Uh, once that happens um i mean the exorcist i worked with most closely uh who was probably the most experienced exorcist in in uh, in the United States ever i uh, i call him in the book father a which is a, a pseudonym he used um, he used to say well every exorcism is a little bit different and it probably depends on the the technique and the practices of the individual exorcist at the same time within the catholic church there and the orthodox church for that matter too there is there is a very formal ritual uh, it's existed for uh about 400 years now it was um codified in the um uh, 1600s uh to make sure that the procedures and practices and prayers were standardized because in every era of the of the church uh, and the churches in christian history there's there's always going to be people who kind of abuse or or are a little loosey-goosey about the world uh, and the Catholic Church does prescribe uh, that those prayers should be used uh, during the ritual it's it's included in a book called the Roman ritual um, it's it's a pretty venerable and and, and scripture based uh, set of prayers uh, on the other hand at, at times the uh, Exorcist priest is gonna go outside of the prayers and, and attempt to question or investigate further, ask, try to access the the evil spirit uh, and, and not really have a conversation. You're not supposed to have an idle conversation with an evil spirit. But what you are supposed to do is um, uh, discern the cause uh, if it's unknown and command the spirit by the power of Jesus Christ. No exorcist is going to say, this is by my own power. They're going to say, I command you, or uh, our Lord uh, commands you to leave eventually and to, and to reveal yourself. Um, there, is a, there is some emphasis on getting the name of the evil spirit. Um, there's nothing magical about that. What it is is these evil spirits, try to hide and they've done a great job in history and they they often present themselves as some dastardly figure in history they'll say oh i'm nero or hitler or Mm -hmm. scariot or something Mm -hmm. in ancient times um, i think the the um, hebrew scholars as well as the um, early christian um, thinkers were um, quite insistent that the um gods and goddesses of the pagan world uh were disguised demons and mm. and i've come to believe that in fact i i've, I've wow. seen i've seen cases of possession where um people will claim that they're possessed by zeus or by apollo or something like that um so throughout history uh these demons have have often uh, disguised themselves, and they still often disguise themselves, including in spiritualism as dead souls and things like that. They'll try to confuse people. Sometimes they'll even present themselves as angels. Um, So you always have to be careful about about people who claim that angels are talking to them as well, uh, even though I think that can also happen. Um, So when the demon is forced in the exorcism, to reveal who they really are they do so reluctantly and it's a good sign because of what it means is that the church or the priest is gaining control that the the evil spirit is having to submit by revealing their real name Mm. and that's a good sign because now you're getting the evil spirit who doesn't want to submit obviously uh you're getting their compliance and uh they they are forced to um Submit to the power of our Lord, and often, often, soon after them, soon after that happening, they will be driven out. It, it can be a protracted. Uh, it can be a protracted process. Again, I've attended exorcisms not as an exorcist, but uh, as a as a requested observer, and I, I've seen people delivered in one session, mm. uh, but I've also seen it go on. Typically on. Often for a few months, and, oh, wow. and and sometimes it can go on for years. Those cases are are often wow. uh, quite difficult. A lot depends, mm-hmm. by the way. It's not a magic ceremony, so the 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 victim has to work at it too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like a witch doctor, and you know the priest says these mumbo jumbo prayers, and the case is settled. Um, what happens is the the victim has to work at developing their own Christian life and turning closer to our Lord before it's likely that they're going to be uh, uh, driven out.
0: I received a book not long ago from someone who said they were an exorcist, and I thought, wow, this might be a really interesting interview. Sent it to a theology professor I work with, and he said, I'm not convinced this is genuine. I think he's a huckster because he charges people a certain fee for exorcisms and he's the one who sent me your name he's like you should talk with dr gallagher how many hucksters are out there and how can you recognize them from someone who is a genuine exorcist
1: yeah well you've mentioned one criteria i am very skeptical Mm. of anybody who charges for it Mm. Um, the the woman i mentioned who um uh had this Lutheran deacon uh, inexperienced um, uh, try to provide an exorcism. Um, She told me that later she went to a famous televangelist who said to her, well, you can either give me $5,000 to do an exorcism, or you can appear on my television show. And she wisely recognized that that, Mm. That was not a sensible thing to do. Uh, And I tell people, uh, you know, you have to seek out and ask the permission of the church, or if you're Protestant, some experienced uh, deliverance minister to help you. If they charge you, you know, stay away from that person.
0: Hmm. That's helpful. Now, what, what have you learned about demons from this? You kind of hint at your book, like, different personalities of demons just in terms of their tactics and their nature. And then I'd also say, what what can we trust on that, given that the nature of a demon is to lie and deceive? How do we know I have accurate information and false information?
1: Well, at at some point related to uh, the process of the exorcism being under the uh, command of... uh, well, Lord, ultimately, uh, demons are forced to tell the truth about something, mm. but uh, if if you're asking them anything like that's extraneous, and in general, when they when they kind of are communicating in these odd ways with people, uh, they're inveterate liars, and and so you can you cannot trust anything they say. Really, um, they do have different personalities. Um, mm. Uh, we certainly believe, as I think you do, Sean, that they're fallen angels. They tend to be uh, very smart, uh, very intelligent, although some of them act very foolishly mm-hmm. and, and probably <laughs> rebelling against God was the, their most foolish uh, act in, uh, in, in in cosmic history. But uh, yes, they have different levels of powers and different levels of intelligence. Um, at the same time uh, they probably have slightly different personalities Uh, the personalities tend to be sort of sadistic uh and repugnant they certainly seem to um enjoy torturing human beings i think they think of us as sort of beasts uh little animals that they are superior to i always tell the story of uh uh julia when i saw her in one of her possessed trances um, she said to the priest um uh i'm not going to imitate the voice but it was in the demonic tenure of voice she said um i i said leave leave her alone you monkey priest hmm. uh, you'll be sorry and and i think that's exactly how they tend to regard human beings like sort of monkeys that uh Hmm. they they can play things ultimately they they hate human beings um they're full of hate and their main hate of course is directed at at god and god the father and our lord uh precisely because um uh they 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 feel they've had to submit uh to this um power that they've rejected Mm
0: The movie I know you're familiar with, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, was actually directed by a Biola grad who was there a few years before I was, Scott Derrickson.
1: that yeah, right? I never knew that, yeah.
0: Yeah, really really interesting. And it was, you,
1: it was a good movie, and as you know, Sean, it was based on a, a real case from Germany.
0: That's what I was going to ask you, to share that case, because many would use that as a case of criticizing exorcism because of what happened to her. Would you be willing to tell us what happened a little bit in that case and what you think we can take away from it?
1: Well, when, you talk, when you talk to policemen, and, and as, as, as a, uh, a Gallagher from New York, uh, I know a lot of uh, police and have a few have had a few relatives. They will often say the, the, the first story is often not the complete story. So mm-hmm. a lot of people don't know the full story. Um, she, uh, in my opinion, was possessed. Mm. Um, on the other hand, uh, she and her parents had been so frustrated with the German medical system that they neglected her medical problems. She had a series of medical problems, and eventually, because of her neglected medical problems—not uh, because of the possession, but because of her neglected medical problems, which she didn't address properly— which she mm. she and her Refused to address, uh, she died, and so uh, the uh, German priests who were working with her, who had tried to get her to go to physicians, but then said, "Well, look, you know, she refuses. We're still going to continue the exorcisms." They were held actually legally liable. Now they they never they never actually um, uh, you know were jailed or fined or anything like that, but they 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 they. They were put through the ringer and put on probation, so it, it was a notorious case in Germany because um, uh, a lot of people in Germany were skeptical of evil spirits, and it sort of discredited the whole exorcism ministry for, for many years. Mm. Uh, I guess the the devil achieved a certain victory there.
0: Oh wow, that's that's really interesting. That, that's really
1: the that's really the inside story, which I think the movie sort of sort of touches upon but but perhaps doesn't doesn't fully reflect the original
0: as a whole what what do movies get right and get wrong about exorcism at least popular movies and i know there's a lot and i wonder i mean do you watch these movies given what you do or do you just stay away from them
1: well there's so many of these movies um and hollywood has often wanted me to participate in a movie and i actually have agreed to do that oh wow Um, that's a whole nother story uh it's going to be done by jason blum who's a pretty big uh mm. power broker in hollywood mm. uh i'm not doing it for the money i'm doing it for you know attempting to to kind of present a a realistic portrait of what the field is really like um but most of the and and it's in, it's, it's in the service of addressing exactly what you're saying. A lot of these movies are sensationalist. They're schlocky, schl- uh, and they're, they're oversimplified. And again, they they kind of uh, present it as a magic ceremony uh, in the way I, I mentioned before that a lot of people sort of in medicine, they want the magic pill to cure their, their condition. in in exorcism sometimes they want the the magic formula to relieve them of a demonic attack but it's always more complicated than that because the victim has to has to turn to god has to reform their life for instance again using julia's case as an example she was this literal satan worshiping um priestess she called herself of the of a cult Even though these cults are rare she was the real deal but she never really agreed despite the priest being generous enough to do exorcisms with her at her request uh, she never was really willing to reform her life or leave the cult in part because she was afraid of the cult and so she was never delivered so um, as opposed to this gangster i mentioned who after this serious possession he returned to his Practice. Um, it was an Hispanic man who returned to his practice in the in the Catholic Church, reformed his life, and he was eventually delivered. Hmm. Um, so that's what Hollywood really gets wrong. They they hmm. they, they minimize that whole thing. It's it's not just some magic combat between uh, the the um, priest witch doctor type who uh, does all the deliverance. Uh, it's it's delivered by our Lord. And it requires the cooperation and sometimes the reform of a person's life by the victim. So uh, I'm sure you can think of Hollywood movies which uh, distort both of those factors.
0: So again, I want to remind just our viewers, you're Ivy League trained academic who is a consult. You, you do consultations, but not exorcists. And in your Correct. book it says kind of 25 years you've been investigating diabolical attacks and the paranormal how confident are you that demons exist and what might you say to somebody who is unconvinced
1: well i have seen so much evidence sean that uh i mean i'm, I'm unequivocally convinced i mean i know it's not a question of a belief I know that evil spirits exist I've just seen so much I mean that that in a way is why I wrote the book it really is a book Hmm. uh serious book it's not it's not dumbed down not sensationalized I have a good friend who happens to be a Jewish doctor out West and I don't always go around talking to everybody about this work so he didn't even know even though he's a close friend what I do and he said, Rich, how come you never told me about your involvement in this field? And I said, well, you know, it's not like I go around telling everybody in my private life about this. And he said, I said, what did you think of it? And he said, and this is, I mean, this is a good man. I mean, he certainly believes in God, but he was brought up as a secular Jew. And he said, well, Rich, I'll tell you what my my opinion is as a, as an intelligent doctor, as as he is. He said i don't think anybody can read read your book and and say that a good intellectual case mm. can't be that evil spirits exist mm. the other the other way i i sometimes phrase it is i'm sure you're familiar uh sean with the new testament when when saint paul went to corinth which i suppose is like some going from kansas to san francisco or something <laughs> and he preached jesus christ uh crucified he also preached that uh, Jesus rose from the dead. And he said, he said, folks of Corinth, citizens of Corinth, you don't have to believe me, 500 people were reported. He He appeared to 500 people. Those mm-hmm. people are still alive, go talk to them. And analogously, I sometimes say every couple of years, I go to this meeting of the International Association of Exorcists in Italy. about 500 of those people Mm. i said take the evidence of my book decide you don't know me so decide what you think about it but you don't have to believe dr gallagher go talk to these 500 exorcists you know they 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 write their own books they're perfectly happy to talk about this stuff and of course there there are many other protestant as well as catholic people involved in this field uh People are alive. I mean, you can you can talk to them about their experiences, mm-hmm. and if you if a person is really objective about it, I know you're an apologist, Sean, so you're you're kind of interested in this sort of thing. If people are really serious about it, they 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 can get a pretty good idea of the truth to this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not it's not hidden under a bushel.
0: So one of the things that's partly convinced me of the stories for near-death experiences and miracle claims is there's certainly some people who are parading false claims to sell books and get a platform, but there's a whole lot of people who are just even reluctant to share these kinds of stories because they think people will say that they're crazy. You're an academic in the Ivy League, and so clearly it went through your mind, like if I start Uh, helping with possession if i write on this this could affect me professionally how did you overcome and why did you overcome that barrier and how is your work received in the larger scholarly world
1: well first of all i'm I'm a full professor so i don't think anybody's going to take that away from me Nice. second of all the short answer is I really don't care what people think I mean people have all kinds of unpopular opinions in this country and you know you can't go around worrying about what people think mm-hmm. but the other the other rejoinder I I, I I give to people if they challenge me and I'm perfectly happy to be challenged is I they say well Dr Gallagher how does it feel to be outside the mainstream mm-hmm. And I tell them what mainstream are you talking about first of all, most Americans Mm. believe in spirits. They believe in God and they believe in evil spirits. I mean, a certain amount of skepticism in the United States and Europe, but around the world, even more of a majority of people believe in evil spirits. My book was recently um, translated into Japanese. I mean, in East Asia, Hmm. almost everybody believes in evil spirits. You go to Haiti or Madagascar, you know belief in evil spirits and their activity is universal so i hardly think i'm out of the mainstream and if you look at cultures in history and people have studied that uh, possession cases have been reported uh, throughout the vast majority of christians uh, not, uh, of, of all cultures throughout history so uh when people say how, how does it feel to be out of the mainstream i say again what mainstream are you talking about i'm in the mainstream maybe you're not now it is true that psychiatrists for different reasons they tend to be a little less religious than the american public they tend to of course see people all the time who only think they are um affected by evil spirits they'll they'll we're all familiar with schizophrenic patients who have hallucinations of Evil spirits or aliens or communists or the FBI or whatever. Sure. So it's natural, Sean, that psychiatrists are going to be a little more skeptical of these things. But, um, you know, that's their problem, not mine. Sure,
0: sure. So, Dr. Gallagher, one of the tactics of demons is to silence people that are calling them out and limiting their powers. So have you given that you are helping with uh, oppression and possession, you're speaking out trying to educate people, I would imagine, you know, if demons are real and like you I believe they are, they'd be thinking we got to take this Gallagher guy out. He's causing too much trouble. He's drawn people to attention to this. We'd rather have these phenomena explained away as mental illness. Have you experienced that? If so, how do you deal with it? If not, how have you protected yourself from experiencing that
1: well i i think uh i think any 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 christian sean who speaks out is going to be a little targeted and how do you deal with that i mean you as an apologist uh, are in in some ways a similar category mm-hmm. uh you have to have your own spiritual life in, in my case i'm a little shameless about asking people for pray, prayers I, I have a lot of praying for me in fact uh, you give me the opportunity now to ask your audience to pray for me hmm. and I think you have to go into this wor- sort of work with that mentality that um, we all need um to protect ourselves and to have the protection of others and you know then then you'll you live with it, whatever is sent you in life um hmm. I, I don't I don't particularly feel like I've been overtly attacked myself
0: Hmm. so you mentioned that demon possession is very rare demon oppression a little bit more common but still rare if we're going to well, say
1: look, t- if we're yeah, going to take I, I, like when i would say uh, oppression i mean if, yeah. if if a clergy person keeps their eye open they'll see a few of those cases hmm. they probably won't see very many possessions if any in their whole life
0: so it As far as what your best guess would be, if we were going to take, say, the Catholic Church in the United States, you said all exorcisms work through official channels very carefully. If you had to guess within a given year, how many are performed in the U.S.? Is it two? Is it 2,000? How many would you guess just within the Catholic Church? And Of course, this does include the Orthodox, other Protestant ministries, etc. Or is that impossible to know?
1: Well, it's impossible to know precisely uh, because a lot of these things are kept very private. Mm. Uh, sometimes tell me, well, why don't, why don't, why doesn't the church uh, do videotapes of people? It's forbidden, and I have have seen people outside the church do videotapes. And believe it or not, sounds kind of like a pat answer. Uh, sometimes the tapes are are blank when you when you try really? to view them. Yeah, yeah, and and um, again, mm. evil spirits certain amount of power over over material reality uh, otherwise they couldn't they couldn't you know possess somebody having said that um, I don't know maybe a couple of thousand you know a every of year uh, that, that would that would be my guess you know okay
0: that's that that's helpful that's fair if somebody thinks they're experiencing demonic uh, oppression in some fashion what should what should they do
1: well the 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 first thing is they should pray and they should turn to our lord and ask for guidance Mm -hmm. and then they should try to find somebody um in, in the catholic church people can always sort of contact the diocese um in a lot of other churches they should attempt to to find somebody within their congregation um, or denomination, uh, somebody who's sensible, has experience, as we talked about before, who th- sees this as a spiritual ministry. Um, sometimes those people do have a little difficulty finding someone, but they, they have to continue to search and pray that they will find somebody who will help them.
0: Are there differences between how Protestants and Catholics and uh, those who are Orthodox perform exorcisms?
1: The, the exorcism rituals in the Catholic Church and in the Orthodox Church, um, the, the formula in the Orthodox Church actually goes back even centuries before. Um, they're, they're pretty systematized and formalized. Um, in the Protestant denominations, um, it varies much more. I mean, some of them use fairly traditional prayers and some of them some of the mainstream churches have developed um, specific prayers and practices and procedures, um, but it's a little more um, individualized and, and people are using much more their individual judgment and uh, more kind of individual choice of prayers and uh, ways of working with the individual. So there, there is that difference in, in, as a generalization.
0: Fair enough. Uh, Dr. Gallagher, I have so many questions for you. I really want to respect your time. Did I, did I miss anything, anything you want to clarify story you want to share that would just help our audience, whether it's a Christian wanting to understand exorcism, maybe a skeptic who's not convinced anything else that would be helpful to share with the audience before we wrap up.
1: Well, I'll I'll make one point and then maybe give one more example. Um, you know, I'm a big believer in science. I'm, I'm I'm a physician. You cannot be a good physician without believing in science. And I don't see any contradiction between what um, the scientific knowledge that I rely upon, which is often based on a, um, if you want to be fancy about it, a, a, a scientific principle called methodological naturalism. Mm-hmm. It means you know, we're doing experiments, we're uh, expecting replicated findings, like in cancer studies and stuff. So uh, I'm very committed to science. But the the kind of uh, findings that I report, they're not unscientific just because they're historical. So the, the evidence-based there is, is history. And, and that's the way, actually, most people come to know things. I mean, wh- wh- how do we know that? George Washington crossed the Delaware. Well, because we have good evidence for it, so I've tried in my book to present. Um, I've tried in my book. Sorry for the phone.
0: That's okay.
1: I've tried in my book to present um, good evidence, um, recognizing at the same time that you're dealing with a realm of reality that is trying to confuse us. That is trying to confuse us. Uh, so people are bound to find this a complicated subject. Um, the best illustration of the confusing aspect of that is I, I dealt with a woman who was oppressed. She was perfectly sane, but she felt she was getting messages from, from the beyond. And she originally told me, uh, I evaluated over the course of about six months. She originally told me that, um, she was having angels talk to her, and that these angels had a great mission for her. And she was skeptical about it because she was a very down-to-earth person and didn't feel that God was seeking her out for some grandiose mission. So I said, well, you know, pray about it. Uh, She'd already been clearly diagnosed as non-mentally ill. And she came back, month or so later and said, Dr. Gallagher, um, they now say that they're dead souls. And this is the sort of bread and butter of spiritualism. People who channel spirits and stuff, they often think they are in touch with dead souls. Mm. And uh, she said, well, I I know we're really not supposed to speak to dead souls, um, certainly in in the way that... uh, I feel they're communicating with me. It's summoning of spirits is condemned in in the Bible, as you know. I said, well, keep praying and, and take the advice of the priest and we'll see if this gets sorted out. And eventually she said, you know, Dr. Gallagher, you were right. They finally have revealed who they are. And just as in a exorcism where the evil spirit is forced to reveal who they are, eventually these messengers uh speaking to her admitted that they were evil spirits so Mm. it's a good microcosm of how they try to disguise themselves they can even disguise themselves as angels uh that's also a new testament theme right Mm. Uh, epistles number two they they have often throughout history disguised themselves as deceased spirits of one sort or another Mm. this is of bread and butter of uh psychics and spiritualists and on the other hand, um, in ancient times, as I mentioned, they they have presented themselves as gods and goddesses who were often thought to be sort of malicious as well as benign, uh, which would make sense, right? Uh, and so um, they have tried to confuse the human race for millennia, uh, they still try to confuse people, and it's why people need to hold fast to the the the, the, the stand orthodox teachings of the church
0: dr richard gallagher i really appreciate you taking the time to come on and join me i enjoyed your book i hope that's the right word in the sense that it was fascinating it was insightful i listened to it on audible uh twice again for the audience it's called demonic foes and you tell the stories but the way you described it earlier was my experience too it's not sensationalistic you give the details we need to know to understand the stories, and some of them are disturbing, but not overly sensational beyond what's necessary for the audience to understand. That was, that was my take. So those of you who want to go further and understand uh, some cases and examples and teachings about demons, I'd highly suggest uh, demonic foes. Uh, the rest of you make sure you hit subscribe we've got some other videos coming up on a range of apologetic and worldview issues including within the next few weeks uh doing an interview again with billy halliwell a journalist who's written a book called playing with fire on 10 questions about demons we're going to follow up and probe into some of the particulars there if you thought about studying apologetics we'd love to have you by l we're the top rate apologetics program it's fully distance and online And part of studying apologetics is we have Bible and theology classes. And we go into angelology, demonology, and some of the very topics today within the program. So information is below. Would love to have you join us. Again, Dr. Gallagher, thanks so much for your time and uh, for your work. I've really enjoyed it.
1: Uh, Thank you, Sean. God bless.